0: Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company.
1: Harris the snapper, Huber will hold it, 52-yarder, sweeps the leg, Max Pearson, he's got it, Cincinnati wins! Kick was down the middle and good! 49ers win it! And this crowd and that Packers team is stunned Hoots it, grew. and the Rams, by the hair of their skinny
0: teeth, deep. Looking to the end zone,
1: for the win, he caught it, ball game, Chiefs to the championship game.
2: It's time for Cofield and Company,
1: with Steve Cofield. On ESPN Las Vegas. Five o'clock hours here. Big five is up in just a couple minutes. Big news of the day. Uh, More Raiders head coach and GM candidates being lined up, spoken to Todd Bowles. We'll get to Todd Bowles. Expected to speak to the Raiders tomorrow. He's the defensive coordinator of the Buccaneers, former Jets coach. Sean Payton is leaving the Saints. Doesn't look like he's going to coach this year. So he's been uh, a target of TV executives At least those are the rumors the last couple of years, so he could be going on to uh, TV or some media role. We put up a question a little earlier. Who does Sean Payton replace as NFL color analyst or studio host? Candy choices are Troy Aikman, Charles Davis, Phil Simms, Lewis Riddick. Right now, Phil Simms leading the way at 43% that uh, Payton would replace him. At least that's uh, by our respondents. Charles Davis, 23%, Aikman, 22 Riddick has the most support. Sounds weird, but the most support. Don't
0: replace. Don't replace Lewis Reddick. He's only at twelve percent. Well, uh, Phil Sims is basically like you know just babbling inside a suit. Like there's there's no, there's no real thought or insight that he offers anymore. And uh, I I will always love Phil Sims for getting me a giant Super Bowl, but the, the guy adds nothing to those broadcasts. What don't so.
1: you understand? He's the common man, kind of.
0: He's lower. No, he is the lower common denominator man. Like he is, he is the lowest of all of them. Like you that can was have. Actually, that was really insulting the common man. Sorry,
1: common. People. No, I mean Terry t- Bradshaw's. Terry t- Bradshaw is the common man. Phil uh, Simms way below that. I would argue that I, I know it's it, it can be infuriating, but Bradshaw, Shack, and a fool is still more entertaining than Phil Simms. Phil Simms. Oh, yeah. Say a
0: whole, Phil Simms doesn't say a whole lot, and also has no sense of humor. And when he does talk, he's saying Stone Age things about analytics that get me upset. I mean, the fact that his son is farther ahead of him in this business than he is at his age tells you all you need to know about where Phil is versus where Chris Sims is.
2: Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five.
1: Well, you do after a two-win season and a new AD on the way, that there were going to be some changes with UNLV football. They've got to get better, and they've got to get better quickly. So Marcus Torrio loaded up with a pretty good class uh, mix of early signees with some JUCOs, some freshmen. And I think the number's up to 10 now with players leaving the program. I was told at the end of the season it was a minimum of eight who would be going. So the transfer portal has been real active, and they brought in a quarterback last week from Tennessee and Harrison Bailey. At that point, you've got at least four quarterbacks minus the walk-ons, right, with Bailey and Brumfield and Friel and Justin Rogers and an incoming freshman from Liberty and, like I said, a couple of holdover walk-ons. Someone was probably going to move. It's actually Justin Rogers, who, you know, one time was a high, high high-level recruit for TCU. It just did not work out here, and it didn't work out in game number one. I know that still sticks in your craw, but Justin Rogers is now in the transfer portal.
0: No, I'm willing to let it go because the season is over. What's done is done. Uh, Evaluate Marcus Arroyo's second season any way you like, but you absolutely have to give him a strike for the fact that Justin Rogers started this season for UNLV, and they might have given away that first game against Eastern Washington because of the fact that he started after we saw what Doug Brumfield was able to do, and then come later in the season, it turned out that they went to Cameron Friel, who was decent for a freshman in the spots that he was in so i just need to know more about how justin rogers ended up as the starter if i'm gonna give marcus royal pass for that i'm not i'm gonna keep saying that that was a mistake and it cost you an lv a win but in terms of next year justin rogers moves on marcus arroyo moves on and we move on would you buy it this way why rogers got that first start that one
1: brumfield did get set back about five or six days with a foot injury. And two, Rodgers may be a better practice and prep player away from the actual playing field than Brumfield is.
0: It's Marcus Arroyo's job as one of the <laughs> highest paid employees in the state of Nevada to be able right? to tell the difference yeah. between a good practice player and a good game player.
1: Number four. Oh boy. Rough night. In San Diego, 80 55, the Running Rebels fall to the Aztecs. I mean, it's just, it is where these programs are right now. I don't think they're 25 points apart, but it's the consistency of San Diego State against the inconsistency and changes year to year at UNLV. And it's not to say UNLV season is going to be a disaster the rest of the way, but they've got to get better and they've got to get better quickly and they've got to get healthy with Donovan Williams. Where are you right now
0: on this Rebel team sitting at 11 and 9? Here's the problem. It it could be 11 and 9. It could be 8 and 10. It could be 13 and 7. I know those are not all equal numbers. I'm just saying they're all kind of immaterial at this point, right? What we know about UNLV is that healthy or not, it's a middle of the pack team. We've seen that all season long. Uh, Our buddy Bischoff tweets out the stat about UNLV versus top 100 Ken Palm teams versus non-top 100 teams every time they lose another game to a top 100 team like San Diego State. But in the end, does any of that really matter if they're still going to be middle of the pack in the Mountain West? Isn't that just what we've watched year after year after year? So here's what I want to know about UNLV, and here's what I think Kevin Kruger needs to provide in some way through what we see out of UNLV the rest of the year. What's interesting about this team? What should we care about? What's fun to watch for UNLV? Because right now, Cofield, they're boring. It's a boring team. This is like third-year Menzies. They're just a boring team. They're not interesting to watch. They're not very good offensively. Bryce Hamilton has improved his efficiency the last few games, and that does give folks, I guess, something to keep an eye on but I've, we've said a hundred times if Bryce is the best player on your team you're probably a middle of the road group of five squads so what is it about UNLV that can get better for us to go watch and I really am asking you this question to someone who watches this team all the time because right now if I look at something like the Ken Palm numbers they're 254th in the country in effective field goal percentage shorthand they're not making shots they're not putting the ball in the basket. And in the end, defense might win you some games. Nobody in Vegas is coming back to the Thomas and Mac for defense unless they're winning a lot of games San Diego State style.
1: Yeah, they've got to get their confidence back offensively and deliver with more weapons. Like, while the numbers for Donovan Williams have been good of late, he still has to hunt shots a lot more often. I think he needs to be shooting a lot more three-pointers, and he might have to now if his knee, you know, isn't going to recover here for. A couple of weeks and the other guy i think the two point guards are key um i want to see Keyshawn gilbert get a lot of time because i think he brings an attitude to the floor and i even asked uh, kevin kruger after the game last night um uh, maybe the veterans kind of need to follow the way Keyshawn plays which is in a way it's going to sound weird in a way it's carefree but it's also super intense he's out there he's having fun but he's also he plays angry and i think right now they're not playing angry like they, they when you lose 80 to 55 and you're down uh 43 whatever it was 24 at the half and they're doing a -a dunkathon on you you got to come out and you got to play angry so i think that's the other thing there's got to be an edge now because now the season is on the line and i'm not saying they're going to make a run you know and finish up here with uh you know some you know 13 and 5 record in the mountain west conference it's not going to happen but they've got to peak they've got to get healthy and peak for the mountain west conference tournament because they can make a run i mean there are many teams in the country candy that have two guys on any given night who can score 20 points a game. They There aren't a lot of teams in the Mountain West Conference that have two elite scorers. They do, but they got both guys have to be efficient, and they've got to hunt shots, and they got to be aggressive. Bryce already does that.
0: He does, and the, the counter I would say to you is 13 and 5 is a far cry from Ken Palm projections for this team for the rest of the year of them winning three more games for the mountain. Of course. Well, that's, why, that's why I gave them, that's, that's a record. They're, they're not going to sure. be able to get there from three to right. No, four, I get it. I, I get they've,
1: it. Got, they've got most of the, they got San Diego State out of the way with two losses. They still have two games against Utah State. They've got Boise State. They've got Colorado State. Um, you know, you, you want to see them achieve and at least go a little above 500, but they're not going to be able to do that if they continue to be a
0: one-man gang with Bryce Hamilton. No, we we're. The the story comes down to this. This is all that matters in the end. It's January 25th, and we're talking about they can make a run in the Mountain West tournament. Beyond that, rest of the season is immaterial.
1: Number three. You know, I feel like tennis needs more angry individuals. Like a Nick Kyrgios, who, well, you know, we'll let the play-by-play here describe it. Kyrgios is out there. He's playing doubles. Uh, He decides to act like a complete sore loser, as he is. Gets a bit unhinged. Wax a ball that goes into the crowd. Let for service.
0: One for the fans, forcibly. I think that may have hit someone incredibly hard. It was a kid. It was a young fan who's just copped the full force of that and wasn't expecting it to come.
1: Oh, my God, who's laughing in the background in the crowd there? Uh, yeah, Nick Kyrios blasted a ball off the court. It hit a kid. I, I can't do the story. Go ahead, Candy. I can't. I just... It
0: blasted a young boy in the face. It blasted him. Nick Kurios got upset again. Yep. <laughs> Had a childish reaction again. Blasted a ball into the stands. Oh, no. This time it was different. <laughs> He's unfortunate because Curiosity put that ball away. I mean, what's Curious going to do? Give him a racket? A racket or a he towel or something. Give him a racket at least. Yeah. There we go.
1: Well, that'll make you feel a little better. <laughs> there you go! <laughs> the... The whole situation is laughable uh, one kiddo, come on, put down the dipping Dots and watch. You shouldn't be getting hit by a ball like in the sixth row across the court. Uh, parents pay attention so you can protect your kid. But my favorite is the announcers and then the crowd. The crowd's like pissed at Kurios. Then he gives a racket to the kid and they're like, yay, what a good gesture. Like, no, not really. He acted like an idiot or a loser. Hit a kid like it doesn't get repaired by giving them your your stupid tennis racket all
0: right so and some of you out there right now are not big professional tennis fans so let's fill you in on nick curios and the fact that you're like well everybody might get upset and you know hit a ball off every now and then um nick curios has openly said that he has quote probably tanked at eight different tournaments in his life because he would quote rather be doing something else than play tennis Uh, He told his opponent, Stan Wawrinka, in the middle of a match at one point that I I don't know if I can can say these words on air, but uh, that let's just say another tennis player had been stoinking his girlfriend, yelled it across the net at the guy during the middle of the match. He said John McEnroe of all players, John McEnroe coming after him saying, yeah, dude, if you don't care, you really should get out of here. That's Nick Kyrios. So now he blasts a kid in the stands with a tennis ball and it's all okay because he gave him a racket. But even better than that, when they talked to Kyrios after the match, he was like, yeah, I was really worried I was going to get defaulted. That the chair umpire was going to kick him out. That's why he gave the kid the racket. He gave the kid the racket so he could stay in the damn match. That's what he cared about. That's all he cared about. And just since I detected a hint of Adam Hill from you there, a second ago about the kid paying closer attention. Um, it's not exactly a foul ball off the bat of Chris Bryant. Like it's a tennis match, and the point is over. You're not really expecting you might have a Wilson in your face.
1: Number two. I don't know, man. I never got hit at the U.S. Open in uh, Flushing Meadows. So, and I and I watch slow mo Glickstein. Right, Ari. One of your favorites, right? Uh, almost take down John McEnroe in an upset. And I never, I never got hit by uh, what was his name, Chip Hooper. Hard, hard serving, hard serving player of the
0: eighties. Humble brag. I went to the U.S. Open.
1: Well, it was a very, it was actually a very easy trip back back uh, in the eighties. We used to get a, a nice little bus trip for like fifty bucks. You get up there and you get a little sandwich. You get to walk around and watch the tennis players. I got right? a sandwich and I watched the tennis. It was great. It was good. It was very good. Uh, Sean Payton is out he didn't get fired but he's walking away from the new orleans saints cowboys and raiders have to call right even though Peyton is saying hey i really don't want to coach this coming year you got to do it because we laid out a list earlier folks if Peyton goes for one year uh does some tv and is like you know what i think i want to come back these are all the teams that could be lining up and in position because they have an older coach they have a guy who you know could be fired after a couple years Cowboys, Patriots, Chargers, Chiefs, Colts, Jets, Bucks, Cardinals, Seahawks, Panthers. There's going to be a long line next year. Uh, now, like I just mentioned, the Cowboys are in a position where they've got a coach. They could have him around for another year if he doesn't succeed in the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, McCarthy's gone. The Raiders will have a coach. Like they're not going to go with you know, hey, Rich, you want to do another interim year and then we'll see what happens. Wink, wink, Sean Payton. Yeah, the Raiders can't do that. So if the Raiders want Sean Payton, they got to get him now.
0: Mark Davis 100% has to make this call, and he has to offer enough money that Sean Payton has to never again think about a birthday gift for his kids and whether or not it came from mom or dad. It has to be more than John Gruden's $10 million. It has to be what Sean Payton wants because you know what? Sean Payton is what John Gruden wasn't. A proven winner over a period of time. John Gruden did not do what Sean Payton has done. Sean Payton is not only the best coach who will be available this year, he's probably the best coach who will be available next year and the year after, too, if he doesn't take a job with the team. So I'm only half joking when I say, do you put a David Cully type hire in there for the Raiders? If you think Sean Payton is realistic, if you call up Sean Payton and he says, you know what, that's an amazing offer, I just can't think about it right now, then who is it you're going to bring in this offseason season? that you feel like is someone who is going to be better than Sean Payton in 2023?
1: Best of both worlds, right? Reward Rich Basaccia for pulling off the miracle, keep the staff together, run it back. If it doesn't work out, you got a great head coaching candidate out there next year that you can throw lots of money at.
0: All you're doing is if you, let's say you give Rich Basaccia a two or three year contract at whatever amount of money, 4 million, 5 million, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think Rich Passaccia is worth isn't that just money invested in sean payton if you decide to go get sean payton two or three years from now bold idea bold idea bold idea top story number one
1: so todd bowles in for a thursday interview D'Amico ryans from the niners interview gerard mayo interview rich masaccia interview other than that it's been pretty quiet on the raiders head coaching front here's my wish list Mike Tomlin, 1, Sean Payton, 2, Gerard Mayo, 3, Todd Bowles, 4, D'Amico Ryans, 5, Basaccia, 6, Eric Biennium, 7, Anthony Lynn, 8, Aaron Glenn, 9. And I'd be thrilled if you can't get the top guys to get Todd Bowles. Thrilled to get Todd Bowles. A steadying force with a great recent track record of getting it done. Todd Bowles would be a wonderful head coach choice for the Raiders.
0: Let me read you some stats that would make me think twice about hiring Todd Bowles because we're all prisoners of the moment. We all believe the last thing we saw and only the last thing we saw. So don't think that I'm just saying something about the, uh, let's just say the Jets history of Todd Bowles because I don't think you can judge any coach by what they did with the New York Jets. Sorry, Cofield. Uh, This is from our uh, frequent guest from Pro Football Focus, George Shahuri, Matt Stafford against the blitz this year overall this year not just this past week he was fourth in pro football focus grade first in expected points added per play don't blitz matt stafford seems to be the rule there right isn't this the same thing we talked about with the raiders against patrick mahomes when everyone in the league was destroying the chief's offense by playing too high safeties and trying to take them out of what they do best and the raiders were like nah bruh, we're good gus bradley plays cover three and got torched by patrick mahomes twice this year gave up nearly 90 points to them the todd bulls defense in tampa bay blitzed matt stafford 17 times the most in a season that anyone has blitzed stafford this year 11 of 16 136 yards a touchdown no sacks and the game-winning pass to cooper cup on which most importantly not all of the tampa bay buccaneers knew there was a blitz call if you can't trust the guy in the biggest moments, you don't want him running the whole franchise. I don't want Todd Bowles as the head coach of the Raiders. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000.
1: He looked very comfortable. There's something about that. Sometimes some opponents bring out the best, and you certainly brought the best in Robin Leonard. That, that was, you get a, little, a couple breaks, You need those. But it wasn't that he was on point in the way he was moving in the blue paint.
0: And it was from the very first save he made tonight.
1: Boy, things change quickly. Change quickly. Darren Elliott with the analysis there. Uh, Millard was on that broadcast too. Um, Big night yesterday for Robin Leonard. Not such a big night tonight for the Knights as this tough road trip continues back to back in a belly to belly capitals last night one nothing win right now middle of the second candy it's two nothing carolina
0: carolina if you don't know is one of the best teams in the nhl this year freddie anderson their goalie has only faced one high danger chance thus far laurent brossois uh getting the start on the back of the back-to-back here has already faced eight high danger chances in 24 minutes this is not a defensive performance to remember thus far for vgk what do you
1: think happens the rest of this road trip with uh this game against carolina then florida Tampa Bay as well.
0: With as beaten up as the Golden Knights are, if they come out of this 2-2, two and two, it's a successful road trip. Anything more than that is gravy for VGK. Remember, Mark Stone is still in COVID protocol. Max Pacioretty is skating, but not back yet. Jack Eichel is skating, but obviously... Not back yet. And, you know, they're still beaten up in the defensive court. I mean, they they once again have the Henderson Silver Knights uh, getting called up three at a time to come play for this team. So you can steal one more on this trip, then you've done well. NFL
1: update today. Another uh, GM position is off the board. If I'm correct, what? The Giants of uh, the, all the openings, first higher, right?
0: Yeah, Joe Shane How- from Buffalo. Yeah.
1: Now the Bears with uh, Kansas City, dude. Ryan Poles
0: from Kansas City.
1: Uh, Shafts were tweeting earlier in the day that Caldwell, Jim Caldwell, would be a match here. I saw that Soran Petro, our buddy from WHB in Kansas City, was saying, well, was asking the question, if Kansas City dude goes to Chicago and doesn't take Eric enemy with him, what does that say about enemy
0: it says that Ryan Poles worked in player personnel and Eric Bieniemy was the offensive coordinator. I don't know that I'm going to draw the straight line to say that you have to hire the guy who came with you. We've all... I'm not saying anything about Eric Bieniemy in particular. I'm talking about workplaces in general. Just because I come from a certain workplace doesn't mean that if I go to a new place, I'm bringing my people with me. It doesn't, say, it doesn't necessarily say anything about Eric Bieniemy. but I know that you in the past have brought up Eric Biennemi's past, at least in terms of some questions about his past, is a reason why he might not have had the attention that the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator normally would.
1: Well, I mean, those have been the rumors, you know, that there were troubles back at Colorado, um, you know, and then early in his coaching career as a player, and then early in his coaching career. So I'm not sure. There's got to be something to explain it. I mean, this isn't a league that has been uh, great on diversity hires, so that, that could be another reason to explain it. So I just know uh, when I hear every year with Eric enemy that, uh, you know, he doesn't call the plays. There are a lot of guys who have head coaching forces who micromanage
0: their side of the ball, and yet there are still candidates for jobs and get jobs. I mean, are we going to have this discussion about who calls the plays when Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers OC, is about to get hired in Denver? I mean, he's already been in for his second interview. You think he's calling the plays instead of Matt LaFleur? Stop. Stop. Oh, we That's-
1: got the Sorry, Candy. we got decisions coming up with both uh, Tom Brady and, uh, in this case, uh, for this story, uh, the the bigger name is is Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers says he's not going to drag it out. And You know, I was saying yesterday, I think the Tennessee Titans are a sleeper to get Aaron Rodgers. I think they're going to be super proactive and moving on and improving from Ryan Tannehill. We're going to talk to Samari Roll, played for the Titans, played for the Ravens, a little NFL talk. We'll look at the uh, championship games as well.
0: More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios.
2: Our brain doesn't work the way that his brain works. Like he has that Michael Jordan brain. And that was the weird thing to me to hear him use the word satisfied. And he said he was satisfied with how this season went, which isn't to speak to his whole career, but that's a word that you just don't hear out of guys at this level.
0: Now back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studios.
1: Let's continue talking NFL, uh, especially looking at some of the teams that uh, either fell just short of the playoffs or just lost in the playoffs in the AFC as our primary concern here in Las Vegas following the Raiders. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a gigantic story in the offseason. That's a master of the obvious right there, right? And I think there's some AFC teams that should be in play, should be trying to get Rodgers if he does leave Packerland. Samari Roll played for the Titans, played for the Ravens. Titans just got bounced from the playoffs. Samari, how you doing? I'm all right, and yourself? We're good. Uh, you know, these are fun times uh, for us in Sports Talk Radio because when you have all these quarterbacks having to make a decision, it gives us plenty of material. And I wonder what you think looking at the Aaron Rodgers situation. Well, what do you think he'll do? I mean he's given some pretty strong indications that he was really angry with the Packers organization. Do you think he moves on?
2: I think he moves on. Uh, I don't think he played his best game, you know, uh, Saturday night. Which uh, probably leaves a bad taste in his mouth, but I, I think the fact that he got them like, you know, hostage basically, you know, the franchise as far as doing what he says basically, uh, I think like if they flame out again next year, I don't think that would be uh, good on his resume, on uh, Aaron Rodgers' resume. So I think it would probably be best if. He finished it like it is, and maybe went to Denver or Pittsburgh, you know, a place like that.
1: What about Tennessee?
2: (laughs) Um, That would be a good move. Uh, I mean, we know – I don't want to point the finger and say the game was on Ryan Tannehill, but he picked the wrong day to play like that, basically. And, uh, you know, living down here in South Florida – I've seen Tannehill play. So yep. it was uh it was kind of fool's though. you know, with uh them earning the number one seed. Not saying they didn't have a good team and everything was set up for them uh to get to the Super Bowl, but uh when they took away the running game, you can't throw three interceptions. You just can't do it. Yep. Especially the last one.
1: Yeah, and I I feel like Tennessee has gotten what they can get out of him. Like he that he's he kind of reached his peak. He regressed a little bit this year and I don't know, I get the vibe that the Vrabel and Company and John Robinson want to be aggressive. You know, they were in on Peyton Manning years ago before Denver got him, so I, I don't see why they wouldn't try to be in on Deshaun Watson or Rogers or Russell Wilson if they're available.
2: Yes. Yeah, I I don't think they get Deshaun Watson though just because um I don't think you trade a quarterback in you know, in your own division, which would be yeah. difficult, but uh, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson would be a good
1: move, but
2: how do you get rid of Tannehill in order to get one of those players?
1: Well, what I would do is I, I would probably go to one of the teams I think is desperate for a quarterback like the Steelers who need a bridge guy and uh-huh. uh, and trade Tannehill and maybe get some, some draft capital back and then uh, use that to go trade for one of the big names.
2: That's, yeah, that works. That works. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to give up at least at least two ones for Russell Wilson, just because he's younger, and uh, I'd rather trade for Aaron Rodgers though, personally. At this yes,
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so I think a lot of people would, and that's you know uh, we've been talking about it here in Raiderland. Like the Raiders have a good quarterback; they have a guy who's probably you know the tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth best quarterback in Derek Carr. So it's a weird situation. They've they've reached a certain point; they made the playoffs, but you know, you looking on at the Raiders, would you stick with Derek Carr, or do you you know you get in a touchy situation, but do you try to make a run at a bigger name?
2: Mm. Well, I mean, I think Derek Carr is better than Ryan Tannehill. I think they're still playing if uh, Derek Carr was the tightest quarterback. So um, maybe John Gruden has made the perception of Derek Carr a little different because, you know, every year it's like the Raiders are trying to get a new quarterback. Raiders want a new quarterback as opposed to saying, you know, really feeling like Derek Carr is my guy. I think he's pretty good, actually. I think he's good enough to win with, with the right culture and, you know, the right pieces around him. But I would say he's better than Tannehill.
0: Samar, you played in the AFC for your entire career. We just watched Buffalo and Kansas City put on one hell of a show on Sunday. As a defensive back, when you see Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes play in the way that they were. Is that the sort of thing where when you're on the field, is there any sort of feeling like, how the hell do we slow this guy down?
2: Uh, that, they were they were rolling uh, Sunday. They were... Uh, the biggest thing is guys like that um, once they get hot, it's very hard to contain them. And Buffalo and Kansas City, they kind of look tired on defense. And uh it was great to see, man. I, they they looked like uh, the Browns greatest showing turf when we played them. They were they kind of had us like that on our heels in the Super Bowl, where it was just nothing we could do to stop them until they got in the red zone. So it is hard when uh, guys are like that and they're rolling.
0: Of all the quarterbacks that you watch in the NFL right now. Who is the one guy where if you had to play against him he would be the most intimidating guy to try to defend?
2: Oh, Mahomes. <laughs> Mahomes by far, just because I admit like I remember John Elway could, you know, throw the ball from anywhere you know, the arm he had and everything, but he would have to set up to make those throws, uh, most of the time the well, world Mahomes can just like be anywhere, any angle and Get the ball anywhere, like that was thirteen seconds. They went forty-eight yards. That's <laughs> like that. That's unreal.
0: It is. It, it's 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 unreal, man. It was it was it was crazy to see. It was even crazier to see them go down the field again in overtime. Uh, you know, we watched watched Tom Brady and the Bucs. We thought that game was going to overtime against Matthew Stafford and and the Rams. Take me through what happens for a defense on a play like what happened on the completion from Stafford to Cooper Cup? Because what we heard after the game was that not everybody on the defense knew the blitz call. And I think as fans, we kind of sit there and say, well, how does that happen? But I'm curious from the perspective of someone who's lived it, how does that happen?
2: Well, uh, you know what the emotion involved and the fact that Tampa Bay was trying to stop down and everything was going so fast. If uh, the crazy part is, if the linebackers hear that call, Stafford might not have gotten that ball off, or the ball would have been thrown as perfectly as it was. Sometimes adrenaline is flowing, and, uh, you know, sometimes a guy might not have heard the call. And what's very interesting, people don't realize, is when you're on defense, your crowd is, very loud like in baltimore we experienced that a lot it's hard to get the communication down because your crowd is trying to prevent you know the um opposing team's offense from communicating but it's also a hindrance to the defense as well so i think that might have been a part of it because if you look at the um replay two still hit them and they were that was with two guys that didn't come
1: Samari so Roll, up on Cofield and Company, talking a little NFL. He played with the Titans, played with the Ravens. Uh, well, let's hit on it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the story, but it, it does get juicier and juicier all the time. I got to get a former player's take on Antonio Brown. Um, he's on HBO tonight. Now he's saying that the Bucs were trying to cut some deal with him for $200,000 for him to be quiet and, you know, just to go on the injured list and, what do you think of Antonio Brown, and what's gone down the last – I mean, it's been a while, but especially the last mm-hmm. four weeks of walking off on the Buccaneers.
2: Uh, uh, I just hate the fact that uh, uh, everything, the antics and everything, takes away from how great of a receiver he was. Because, like, he, I mean, he's really, really good. He was on the Hall of Fame trajectory. He may still get in. Who knows? But that's, that's just the worst part that I don't – like, you know, the fact that you don't talk about Antonio Brown, the great receiver, you know, we're talking about just this uh I guess this tour he's been on. You know, I didn't know anything about the hush money thing or whatever you just said, but it's uh I, I think at some point he's uh realized uh, you know, he had everything right there. And uh it's you know, it's only so much so long, you can kind of be your own person in the NFL. You know, when you're yep. when you're in your prime or whatever, you know, obviously power trumps a lot of stuff. But as soon as that production, you know, uh, dips, um, you don't hold the cards anymore. You know, the team has the power again, and I think that's just the uh, the part that's you know that's going to be bad about it when he realizes you know he could have still been playing. Probably two, three more years.
1: Yep. Well, I mean, there are rumors out there that I mean, it's not even a rumor; it's been well established. He would love to go to Baltimore and play with Lamar Jackson. Won't
2: work. Won't (laughs) work. Yeah, I was going to say. Do you think? Do
1: you think John Harbaugh would deal with that?
2: No, 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 no. I don't. I. I mean, you saw like I will say, you know, the Ravens uh, they take players, you know, that have had issues or you know stuff that. Is workable with, but it's always about the team and Baltimore and play like a Raven and the Ravens run the ball. You know they they lead the league in rushing attempts and everything. So, can you imagine a game where Lamar might have thrown him two passes? Like, can can you imagine that?
0: No, so, no. So
2: I, <laughs> right. So no, I don't. I don't see that happening. It sounds good, but I don't see that happening.
1: Okay, you mentioned Antonio Brown. There's going to be a point where he's going to look back and go, "Man, I should have been playing a lot longer." Like, is that point here? Is is he going to be done? Because I don't understand the end game, and I I know he wants to fight for himself, and he maybe he believes he got screwed, but like you said, the NFL has a little patience. He may be done now.
2: Uh, I mean, we you thought that after you know what happened with the Patriots, yeah. so. Uh, All it takes is one team out of 32, you know? It just takes one. I, obviously, we know he can still play, and if it's somebody who trusts him or somebody he has a relationship with like that, then who knows?
1: Hey, Samari, you're close to uh, the Dolphins, and I got a couple of Florida football questions for you here to close out on. Mm-hmm. What did, What do you think happened with Brian Flores, and, and is he going to get a job right away?
2: I think he should. Um, the, I believe the problem was he never supported Tua, and Tua was who Stephen Ross wanted. But when you look around and you see Joe Burrow is in the same class, and then, you know, a guy you could have picked who's who might be better than Joe Burrow, or uh, Justin Herbert, I think got. You know, and then the rumors of uh, Flores wanting them to get Deshaun Watson or, you know, wanting them to pursue this guy. Uh, I believe that kind of, you know, might have rubbed Stephen Ross the wrong way. And the fact that you got to remember Flores sees this guy every day in practice. though. So where Stephen Ross probably, you know, he's not, he doesn't see two every day. So I would tend to go with Flores more, but. The fact that they didn't pick Herbert, uh, that really stunk. And then they had the third pick where they could have drafted Jamar Chase. But, you know, they traded it to Philly, and then you end up trading back to get a receiver again. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't
1: know. (laughs) Uh, Last one, I wanted to talk about receivers real quick. I was wondering what you were thinking of. Florida State and where they are right now, because uh, Mike Norvell, I think, got every transfer wide receiver in the country. He he loaded up the <laughs> receiver. Is it is it about time the Knolls are going to start to turn the corner and get back to like eight nine wins again?
2: Uh, we need to man. It's uh, the part that sucks is I don't think we realize how good of a coach Jimbo Fisher was. I think we took that for granted at the time, and now you know we we're seeing how much he meant. Did it, you know? Was he asking for a lot? I'm sure, but I think he was worth it. Uh, we gotta get a, we gotta get some offensive line. Like our offensive line has been, you know, has been bad. Like the past four or five years, it's been terrible. So we can't block anybody. So until we're able to block somebody, I think we're gonna, you know, still be in this same same mode. I hope it changes, though. I really do.
1: It's crazy how much has changed too. It's it's really crazy, almost impossible to believe. So, Samari. You know
2: what's crazier? My yeah. neighbor is Willie Tiger.
1: Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah. Small, small world. Yeah, small world.
2: Samari, Mike, we appreciate so a couple
1: minutes. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. You all take care. Thank you for having. Me. There he is, the former Titan, the former Raven, Samari Roll, and yeah, I was talking about uh, the transfer portal. With Florida State, they went out and I think in the end I was looking. Man, they have a lot of transfers coming in. Um, they got three receivers and actually two of them are California guys. Two of them, I think, Marcus Arroyo was the primary recruiter on, and uh, on Micah Pittman from Oregon, and then uh, Johnny Wilson is a big six five kid, six six kid that I got to see up close when UNLV played uh, Arizona State, and Arroyo was on that one. I was kind of hoping both guys would consider UNLV, but uh, they had some pretty big offers, and now they're going to land, or they did land, at Florida State as uh, transfers.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents... Hey, hold
1: on, hold Big up,
0: Grab Bag.
1: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
0: Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, what's,
1: what's going on? Put your hand in there, Dave. Hang out with the Cofield and Company crew, Ari specifically, Twin Peaks, Henderson, this Saturday, getting ready for the Sunday championship day, both days, Saturday and Sunday. Great days of football viewing. Two to four on Saturday before the VGK Tampa game is when Ari will be there. They're actually celebrating National Soup Month. I might have to show up. Just make the soup hot That's all we want. That's all we want. I got to squeeze this in real quick. Twin Peaks does not serve Altoona-style pizza. Have you seen this travesty on social media, Candy? I've been trying to bleach my eyes ever since. Wow. Altoona-style pizza in Pennsylvania. Pizza is topped with tomato sauce, green bell peppers, peppercorn salami, and as the story says, most controversial, yellow American cheese. Holy crap, I'm a human walking garbage can. I will eat anything. I'm very anti-American cheese. I don't understand trying to reinvent the wheel with a pizza with American cheese on it. Slices of American cheese that kind of don't even look melted.
0: First of all, American cheese is not an actual cheese. Look it up, Rubes. Now, that pizza in particular, trying to call that Sicilian I, as an Italian, feel offended on a level that Antonio Brown can't even relate to when he was talking about how the Bucks treated him. Candyman has spoken.
1: Ain't pizza. If it's not not up his pizza alley, it ain't real pizza. Sorry, I I have
0: delivered Sicilian pizza to the residents of Henderson as a (laughs) 17-year-old young man. That, sir, is not Sicilian pizza.
1: Hot damn. Hot damn. All right. We got plenty of time here. Let's give our hot take right now on David Ortiz to the MLB Hall of Fame. I got a lot oh, no. to say
0: about this.
1: Oh, no. Uh, we ran out of time.